Welcome to podcast episode 244. I'm Stuart McCullough, I'm the CEO of VHAA. And joining me for today's discussion is uh, Senior Workplace Relations Consultant, Daniel Pullum. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you, Stuart. Daniel, we have, we have a clue that will suggest the subject for today's discussion. It's going to appear on screen right now. So Daniel, for the benefit of those people who are listening to this podcast rather than watching, um, how would you describe what it is you've just borne witness to? So it's a YouTube video of a group of people in separate frames playing different musical instruments. Different musical instruments or the same musical instrument? It might be the same musical instrument. I didn't, oh, I'm not a person about detail. They could be separate instruments, but they all seem to be string instruments, if that helps. All right, we, we won't try and debate the point. We'll just chalk that one up to musical differences uh, as such. Yes, that is indeed uh, Peter Brown's uh, League of Crafty Ukulele Masters. Yeah. Uh, and based on that clue, what would you say the subject for today's discussion is? I'm glad that finally I'm going to get the answer right. It has to be music therapy. Uh, Daniel, you couldn't be more wrong. The, the League of Crafty Ukulele Masters uh, also go by the name Locum. Uh, as as such, so uh, Locum is the name of the band, and Locum is the subject for today's discussion. In particular, uh, we're going to be discussing a significant change to the medical specialists' agreement concerning internal locums. And this is a new mode of employment for this agreement. Uh, so you mentioned just then modes of employment, uh, but before we talk about the new mode of employment under the medical specialists' agreement, let's talk about the other pre-existing modes of employment. Yeah, sure. So um, the current agreement or the previous agreement, sorry, had two modes of employment. You had full time, which everyone's familiar with, and fractional, which is unique to medical specialists. And it should be noted that with respect to, to fractional as a mode of employment, that applies a different rate depending on the number of hours of, uh, that have been worked, uh, which is challenging. And it means that there are different rates for the same service. And what the didn't uh, what the specialist agreement didn't provide for was casual employment. Just to give that some context, when, when we're talking about casual employment, we're really talking about supplementary labour, that is additional labour that's brought in on an as-needs basis. And broadly, supplementary labour is used to address shortfalls in supply, such as to replace somebody who has gone on leave, or to meet additional demand. That is to supplement the additional, uh, the existing workforce, um, particularly with regards to peaks and troughs in, in demand. And it's worth acknowledging that for specialists, there are some instances where expertise is so specialised that someone might be brought in on an irregular or unpredictable basis. So whilst we're calling this a new mode of employment, uh, internal locum, it should be remembered that we're, we're just giving that, giving that name to a form of supplementary labour. And there is an issue to note because previous agreements didn't have a mode for casual or other supplementary labour to meet that need, so people improvised. Those improvised arrangements took a number of different forms. Sometimes it was zero-hour contracts, but there were a lot of variations within the sector. And with the creation of a mode of employment for supplementary labour, this is the term that will apply to that kind of labour. So what that means is, in practical terms, if you had an improvised arrangement, like zero-hour contracts, it will be necessary to transition to these provisions. 
That's correct. And that's an important point for compliance and for implementation. So members will need to review their arrangements for supplementary labour. Because what we have now is really something that, uh, aside from the name, is really quite orthodox. Uh, it's part of a shift more generally to orthodox arrangements under these um, agreements applying to doctors. Uh, but Daniel, before we get to those uh, orthodox arrangements, which are set out at 16.4 of the new medical specialists agreement, uh, we need to set the scene a little bit. So let's start at clause four, which describes the coverage for the agreement. So it provides that subject to subclause B, this agreement covers the health services referred to in Appendix 1 as employers, all doctors as defined in subclause 3.1K as doctors, and provided that the Commission so noted in its decision to approve this agreement, which it did, the Australian Salaried Medical Officers Federation. And because we're talking about the subject of coverage, for the sake of being complete, we should also talk about uh, subclause 4.2, which provides that for the avoidance of any doubt, this agreement does not cover any person in relation to ordinary work performed holding on a fee for service or scheduled fee basis, including by way of example, only the common law medical benefits schedule. And returning to 4.1, so the key point there is the reference to doctors. The term doctors is then defined in clause 3K as follows. So doctor means a medical practitioner employed by a health service as a specialist or executive specialist, as a full-time doctor, fractional doctor, or internal locum doctor. But with respect to the Dental Health Services Victoria, it means only a doctor employed as an anaesthetist. So the agreement applies to all doctors other than those at 4.2 and all doctors includes an internal locum. And in term, uh, sorry, in turn, the term internal locum is also defined at clause 3Y. That internal locum means a doctor engaged on a casual basis in accordance with subclause 16.4. So in short, if you're engaging the doctor on a casual basis, however titled, that person falls within the scope of the agreement. And that will require a change in practice where employers had an alternative in place. Daniel, that takes us to subclause 16.4 itself. So that term begins with a statement as to its purpose, which describes the reason for having this new mode of employment and in effect how and when it should be used. So at 16.4, it provides under purpose that the purpose of the internal locums, however titled, is to support health services access a prepared supply of employed labour to meet fluctuations in supply, such as those arising from unplanned absences or demand, such as a greater than anticipated number of patients or for specialised needs rather than for the use of external contractors where possible. It's really a summary of the principles that we talked about before uh, when we talked about the role that supplementary labour plays within the workplace. And what it doesn't do is replace existing modes of employment. Essentially, it's used to fill gaps. So subclause B provides that an internal locum by in terms of what they are and what they aren't. So it provides under B for definition that an internal locum is a doctor who has made an offer of employment on the basis that the employer makes no firm advance commitment or continuing to continuing an indefinite work according to an agreed pattern of work. Uh, by way of example, relief work such as replacing a doctor on an unplanned absence and the doctor accepts the offer of employment on that basis, and they are an employee as a result of that acceptance. 
It is not a doctor who could reasonably be employed on a full-time or fractional basis under this agreement. So that first part at Roman numeral one really reflects the Fair Work Act definition of a casual. And the second part emphasises that it's not to be used to replace someone who could reasonably be a full-time or fractional doctor. So the subsequent subclauses describe the entitlements for this mode of employment. And they include notice requirements and minimum engagement at C and D respectively. And it says, subject to the minimum engagement period or payment in lieu of, an internal locum's engagement is terminable without prior notice by either party. And the minimum shift length for an internal locum is three and a half hours. And quite critically, uh, and this removes, you know, gives us certainty, um, the clause also goes to the issue of the rate at subclause E. And you made uh, a point earlier about the different fractional rates. So at E, it tells you which rate to use and a loading. So it provides that an internal locum will be paid the hourly rate for a fractional specialist 10.6 to 14 hours a week for the doctor's classification, plus 25%. Payments for shift work, Saturdays and Sundays, and penalty payments for public holidays worked also apply to internal locums. It is worth noting that the, the clause does make clear that certain other payments, such as shift penalties, weekend shift penalties, and public holiday penalties all still apply which is really the orthodox approach to supplementary or casual labour. Subclause F clarifies the approach to allowances that except where expressly excluded, an internal locum will be entitled to receive the allowances prescribed by part F of this agreement. We then have a list of terms that don't apply at G, which includes annual leave, paid personal leave, paid compassionate leave, paid family violence leave, absences on defence leave, CME leave, clinical support time, notice period before termination and special disaster leave. And inevitably that is followed by a list of terms that do apply to uh, internal locums at H, which includes CME support, unpaid personal leave, vicarious responsibilities, unpaid family violence leave, uh, unpaid compassionate leave, unpaid pre-adoption leave, uh, parental leave subject to the eligibility requirements and unpaid ceremonial leave. Just two things in that about that list. Obviously, the CME one stands out. Yes, and CME applies to internal locums. So members can find more information on CME and internal locums at VHIA podcast episode 239. And the second thing that stands out is just that reference to unpaid family violence leave. There has been a change to the Act, which will come into effect in February next year which will provide a paid leave entitlement for, for casuals, uh, which would include uh, this group, but we will be um, sending a bulletin to members on that separately. Um, that takes us to clause 16A, Daniel, which concerns internal locum conversion. And members will be familiar with the concept of casual conversion. That's a term that most, most agreements since 2016 have, uh, have had, and it's now part of the Fair Work Act. Internal locum conversion does sound like a kind of engine, um, but as such, um, this is really a conversion term, the likes of which we've seen in other agreements with a different title. And it really is a mechanism to provide an additional pathway for people to be in the right mode of employment and not stuck in casual or internal locum mode where that doesn't suit the circumstance. So in effect, the uh, conversion term can be broken up into two distinct parts. The first concerns actions required to be taken before the agreement uh, existed, namely 27 September 2021. Daniel, can you explain why that is? Yeah, so the term at 16A uh, 
provides for a replication of a National Employment Standards term or a NES term. The NES required employers to make offers by 27 September 2021 to casual employees where certain conditions were set. So that's an obligation that previously existed and the actions required there have been done and do not need to be done again? Correct. It's there to ensure that we're engaging with the National Employment Standards, and it means that the parties can access the dispute resolution procedure in the agreement about that activity. So just because it's seeking to cover the field, uh, one of the consequences of that is that a number of clauses relate to that rear view mirror provision. They do. So clauses 16A1, 2, 3 and 4 are all associated with a process that's been and gone. Sounds like we can go directly then to 16A5. I'd agree. So 16A5 gives a doctor the right to request conversion from locum status if, and it, this is provided at 16A5, the doctor may make that request if the doctor has been employed by the health service for a period of at least six months beginning the day the employment started. And the doctor has, in the period of the six months ending the day the request is given, worked a regular pattern of hours on an ongoing basis, which without significant adjustment, the doctor could continue to work as a full-time doctor or a fractional doctor, as the case may be. So I'll, I'll just jump in there. So two elements, at least six months under the belt in a regular pattern of hours uh, on an ongoing basis that they could continue to do without significant adjustment. Um, but it did sound like you had more to say there. There is, and there's a bit more to say. So, uh, and all of the following apply. That the doctor has not at any time during the period referred to in subclause 16A5A Roman 2 refused an offer made to the casual doctor under subclause 16A1. That the health service has not at any time during that period given the casual doctor a notice in accordance with subclause 16A2C Roman 1. And the health service has not at any time during that period given a response to the doctor under subclause 16A6 refusing a previous request made under this clause. And finally, that the request is not made during the period of 21 days after the period referred to in subclause 16A1A, Roman 1. So let's just eliminate those that are no longer relevant. Of mm -hmm. those in the A, B, C and D, B and D won't be relevant now as they relate to that previous NES process. Now, I also note that the clause requires that the request is made in writing and that request is then given to the health service. It does. It also requires the health service to provide a response within 21 days, stating whether or not the health service grants or refuses the request. So, Daniel, in the event that a request is made, uh, what are the circumstances under which it might be refused? So there are three conditions before a refusal can occur, and these are set out in 16A7. Provides that a health service must not refuse the request unless the health service has consulted the doctor, there are reasonable grounds to refuse the request, and the reasonable grounds are based on facts that are known or reasonably foreseeable at the time of refusing the request. So let's focus in on that term, uh, reasonable grounds. What does the agreement say might constitute reasonable grounds? Provides without limiting subclause 16A7A, reasonable grounds for refusing a request include the following. There would require a significant adjustment to the doctor's hours of work in order for the doctor to be employed as a full-time doctor or fractional doctor, that the doctor's position will cease to exist in the period of 12 months after giving the request, and that the hours of work which the doctor is required to perform will be significantly reduced in the period of 12 months after giving the request. So members will have picked up on that point that you made, Daniel, um, uh, in, that these, are, these reasons are, are inclusive. 
as opposed to exhaustive. That is, they're not the full list of reasons that might constitute reasonable grounds, but are indicative. Um, so if it did require a, a significant adjustment, the role won't be there or the hours will be reduced. Those are uh, examples of reasonable grounds for not agreeing to a request. Correct. In addition, the agreement also provides that if there will be a significant change in either or both of the following in the period of 12 months after giving the request, which includes the days on which the doctor's hours of work are required to be performed, or the times at which the doctor's hours of work are required to be performed, which cannot be accommodated within the days or times the doctor is available to work during that period, or that granting the request would not comply with a recruitment or selection process required by or under a law of the Commonwealth or a state or a territory. And I think it's worth emphasising that uh, if the health service does refuse a request uh, to convert from internal locum to either fractional or full time, the written response under subclause 20.6 must include details of the reasons for the refusal. And it also should be noted that the clause goes on to address other key subjects, such as the things a health service has to do where it grants a request, as well as what the effect of that request is. Daniel, thank you for taking us through those significant new provisions introducing that supplementary labour option under the Medical Specialists Agreement. Uh, I think that certainty associated with actually putting to bed that issue um, will hopefully be quite welcome. But I can't think of a better way to end this podcast than with a bit more from the League of Crafty Ukulele Masters. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you.